this episode, Justice League International number 18, cover dated October 1988. Hello. Welcome to the 18th episode of Justice League International Wahaha Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. My name's the Irredeemable Shag, and I'm your host, but I'm not flying solo. Every single episode, I will feature a different guest host to help me tackle an issue of the JLI. My co-host today happens to spend most of his time in a galaxy far, far away, hosting podcasts such as Generation X-Wing, and he's a co-founder of the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network. And over on YouTube, he's documenting his journey in joining the much-beloved Star Wars cosplayer group, the 501st. And more relevant for us JLI fans, this guy is a middle school teacher. Oh, man, he is clearly a glutton for punishment. <laughs> anyway, he's a middle school teacher, and he has decorated the inside walls of his classroom with JLI characters. Folks, straight from our Canadian embassy, it is our first international guest on this international podcast. Please help me welcome Mr. Rob Williams. Welcome to the embassy, Rob. Thanks for being here. Good day. How you doing? <laughs> nice to see you, eh? Wow, Bob and Doug McKenzie right out of the gate. So when are you going to start apologizing? That should be next, right? I'm sorry. I should have done that sooner. I apologize about that. <laughs> so. Perfect, perfect. I am well done. so excited to do this. I can't tell you. It's, this is really cool. I'm really looking forward to this, man. Now, folks, Rob reached out to me um, not too long after the first episode and basically <laughs> bullied his way onto the show. And I said, whoa, slow your roll there, Canadian boy. And we eventually found an issue for him to come on board with. And we've both been looking forward to it for a long time. I'd actually have to say I probably emailed you when you mentioned you were doing a podcast. Uh, <laughs> I, I seriously, when you after listening to the Who's Who, you mentioned that you are doing a JLI podcast. And I, th- I think I immediately assumed that it would be awesome and I wanted to be a part of it. Well, you were right about the first part at least how's that <laughs> well i'm not right about the second part i'm here now aren't i <laughs> i know i know <laughs> now in, in fact your background actually makes you uniquely qualified for this issue we're covering today because most of jli number 18 takes place in a galaxy far far away look at that synergy i love it i love so, it i thought you were talking about canada for a second there but you're talking about actual star wars <laughs> okay just making sure so here's your real test sir all you right have to demonstrate your devotion to your fandoms here all right who shot first Guy Gardner or Batman? Okay, first of all, it's uh, who punched first. Okay. And that's just my excuse to do the one punch. And second of all, it first implies that somebody shot second. So, that being said, uh, Han Solo shot. That was it. And Batman punched first. So, Batman punched. You have passed with flying colors, sir. Well done. That's exactly... This was not pre-prepared. I did not see what his answer was going to be in advance, but that is, in fact, the correct answer on both fronts. Well done, sir. Did I get it right? I'm good. You did? All right. You did. Yes. Sorry for getting it right. Now, someone could argue Guy Gardner did lunge at Batman, but, yes, Batman absolutely punched first. If you, yes. As you said, you could even call it a one-punch. Oh, there's a noise. <laughs> <laughs> just make, I'm just making more editing for myself. Oh, my yes, gosh. Okay, well, before we get too much further, because Rob and I could talk Star Wars probably all night, and we just practically did before we even started recording, folks, uh, we need to take a second to thank our sponsor. This episode of the JLI Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collector editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Now, each episode, we're going to select a collected edition to briefly discuss from the 
in Stock Trades Library, usually to be tied into that month's JLI issue in some way, shape, or form. And the trade paperback I have picked is Lobo by Keith Giffen and Alan Grant, trade paperback volume one. That's right, folks. The Bastage has arrived. Oh my gosh. This is, we got a lot to talk about with this. So yes, this trade paperback collects all the classic original Lobo tra- miniseries. You get Lobo, the first one called Lobo. You get Lobo's paramilitary Christmas special. You get Lobo's back. You get La- Lobo's blazing chain of love. Oh my God. And the gracious. convention special. It's 320 pages. You know, again, Alan Grant, Keith Giffen. This thing is zany. It is crazy. It is, it is so 1990s extreme, if you will, but in a fun, tongue in cheek way. You can't help but love it. Normally it retails for $24.99. It's on sale right now for 45% off. So you can get it for $13. And seventy-four cents. That is a steal, folks. Ugh. I was all in on everything that came out Lobo that time. In fact, if my school district finds out I had this series, I don't know if I'd be able to keep my job for some of these things. It was, just, it was crazy. Some of the Lobo's uh, Blazing Chain of Love and uh, Lobo's Back were just bizarre. <laughs> They're so good. They're so good. I, I, if I remember correctly, help me out with the story here. Wasn't there the point where basically he can't die because God doesn't want him? Is that how I understood it? Well, I, I now I got to be fair. I haven't read them in probably since they were first published, and I'm afraid I'm mixing it up with Hellblazer. But if I remember right, neither heaven nor hell want him is basically what it boiled down to. So he can't die. I think that's the deal. That's brilliant. I love it. It's, <laughs> it's just, so good. So he's good. so annoying and so threatening that it's just like just live forever and keep out of our hair. <laughs> Well, that very well ties into this issue, folks, because Lobo's in it, and we will talk great lengths about him. But, Rob, this is the part where I do ask the guest if they brought a entry for the InStock Trades recommendation. All the cool kids have done it, so I'm yeah. just saying, are you going to let your country down? Well, it, yes. No, I'm just kidding. All right, I've got basically my very first comic book I ever bought, I found on here. It's the Legends 30th Anniversary Edition. This is the book that started all of this, in my mind, uh, my love for the Justice League. Written by Ostrander and, we- and Ween, I believe. It. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to challenge you, by the way, by pronunciation mistakes. I'm horrible at pronunciation, and I know you are too, so we're just going to make a mess <laughs> of this whole thing. Um, it's going to be a whole podcast of just saying the word a boot. <laughs> a boot. <laughs> Yes, exactly. It's common knowledge that we all say that. And John Byrne and Kessel, like John Byrne's artwork is like, what a great way to be introduced to DC, the DC world by John Byrne's artwork. Obviously, we all know Legends is about uh, how G. Gordon Godfrey tries to turn the entire world against superheroes and how these legends of the world uh, just come together and just prove their worth and prove their value and and fight the evil dark side. So, and again, come together as the Justice League while eliminating the Detroit Justice League which really did break my heart. I know it does your... That is also the right answer. Very good. Yes. <laughs> I liked Vibe. Vibe was cool. Cocky. Paco, he was awesome. I loved Vibe very, very much. Anyway, so this is uh, it's six issues all together, miniseries, and it is was seventeen ninety nine, but the in-stock trade price is $9.89 American, and you save 45%. So really, it's the, my first and only choice at this time. That is uh, That price, too, that is an amazing price for one of DC's best crossovers out of the 80s. It is is so yeah. good. Yeah. I, I personally, I'm, I, I always love Crisis probably is like the pinnacle of everything, but Legends is the one where I really connected with the DC universe. I bought all the crossovers. I was all in. I've talked about it before, so I don't want to belabor the point, but I absolutely love Legends. It is freaking yes. brilliant. Like I said, it was the first comic book I purchased as a kid and uh, not knowing what Crisis was and then learning what this crossover thing was and just learning about comic books and how they worked. I, when I discovered Crisis and going back, it's Crisis actually scared me because they were they were killing people and it was just like they killed the flash 
they killed like holy cow they're just wiping people off and it was actually startling for like a teenage kid who's just who's grown up on these superheroes that they can kill superheroes right so suddenly the, your heroes weren't safe anymore mm. yeah mm. well excellent choice there both of them are great books folks so we highly recommend you pick them up and for these and all your other trade paperback needs please visit instocktrades.com Awesome. All right, folks, we're about to get into this, but I want to make sure you are involved in the conversation. So please go out on the social medias. Use our hashtag, which is pound FW podcasts. If you're in Canada, like Rob, you probably need to add some useless letter U's in there somewhere. Feel free. Do whatever you got to do, folks, whatever makes you happy. <laughs> you can look for us on Facebook and Twitter as JLI podcast or just like international Baja podcast. And as I say every month, this is all about building a community of online fans together. We are strong. We are JLI strong folks and we want to hear from you now this is the part of the show where we get to sit down with rob with a nice uh warm cup of poutine and a bowl of syrup yes. and every other canadian stereotype you can think of yes keep going <laughs> rob beat me to it there we go <laughs> <laughs> all right rob so please tell the folks at home what is your personal origin story with the jli how did you discover the book and why did you fall in love with it well it was a 1972 games game eight and uh, we came out of our igloos and we was <laughs> okay just kidding my origin story kind of dates back Back way before, like we're talking, I was as a kid, I was watching a lot of TV with superheroes. Like, I don't know if I've never heard anybody mention this, but the kids' superpower hour with Shazam was one of my first introductions to superheroes. You ready for this? Yeah. Kids' superpower hour with Shazam. <laughs> it's still on YouTube, folks. You need to check that out. And uh, then Super Friends and the superpowers, action figures were, were all out, and everybody knew who Superman was. And so that kind of started my introduction to superheroes this was marvel wasn't even the picture it was just dc and then my cousin introduced me to comic books he was reading stuff like Gru and such but uh, he also introduced me to the idea of comic books and comic book stores like there's a store that actually just sells comic books and that just blew my mind so one day i came across legends number one right on the shelf and there was all my superheroes with dark side everybody i recognized and then a few people i didn't and i read it and i got hooked and it's just it was just all these wonderful stories, wonderful art, wonderful characters that brought me back to when I was a little kid. And then so I head out to the, the local store that's called Talking Illustrations, which are long gone now. I went to Talking Illustrations and then I just started buying everything I could when it came to Justice League and Legends and even the crossovers that you were saying. And it just I just started steamrolling from there. In fact, I didn't really get my first Justice League issue until actually the One Punch episode. Pause for effect. And <laughs> then I was able to grab all the other uh, issue ones, issue two, issue three. And I just started steamrolling after that. And it was just, it was a comic book that for me, it wasn't serious. It was fun. It had still the superhero atmosphere that I, I wanted, the costumes, the color, but it had a great story of characters that I wasn't even really familiar with. Like I did know Superman and Captain Marvel, but the Blue Beetle and Black Canary and, and, and Mr. Miracle, these were guys I wasn't familiar with. And so it just, it was a great way of having the old familiar, having the new hotness at the same time. So. <laughs> so you actually hold a distinction of not only being our first international guest, you are also the first guest we've had in this show that has actually had letters published in the JLI comic. Is that correct? Seriously? I'm the first? Yeah. I had no idea that. That's a oh boy. I'm, this is gonna, this is an awesome episode. I got Lobo. I got, I got Guy back and I'm the Canadian. 
This, <laughs> seriously, like, yeah, I had a two. I had one letter published and one mention of a letter that I sent a picture I sent in, but they didn't publish it because they're not going to show pictures. But I can't find the blasted thing. I, I've been looking through the all these issues, and I know it's in there. I'm pretty sure it's at, past the general glory days. But I drew a picture of who I thought should be in the Justice League. But at the same time, it was that issue one pose. Everybody's kind of standing there, you know, you know, just kind of crossed arms and everything. But they're all wearing Groucho Mark glasses as well. <laughs> so they had the Blue Demon was in there, Guy, Fire, Ice, all those, the regulars as well. And then I think I threw an Amazing Man as well. And okay. uh, just because he was the mascot fighting with that stupid yellow cat. <laughs> and uh, it was just kind of like, I, these are the guys who I wanted in because everybody else was talking about who they wanted in. And then they published one of my uh, uh, letters as well, just me praising them and saying I love this book. So Well, unfortunately, something bad has just happened where you said these all these amazing things and then you totally discredited yourself by calling, I think you, I think you called Blue Devil Blue Demon just then. Did I just say Blue Demon? You did. I'm so sorry. Blue Devil. Take See, it back. Unfortunately, you can't because I'm such a big Blue Devil fan. I have, a, I have a poster on my wall of Blue Devil in my office, actually, sir. So... I think you've kind of crossed the line. We, we're going to have to see if you can fight your way back into my good graces, but as of right now, you're on the list, pal. Well, I can't fight. You guys are a military. You <laughs> trust the mutants, so... <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so other than the Blue Demon, who are some of your favorite JLI characters? And, okay. and try and narrow it down to three, if you would, please. Mm, this was hard. This was really hard. I, I did love General Glory and Guy. And again, I don't think anybody's mentioned that, but those two guys really worked together really well. We'll talk more about how Guy's attitude changed in this episode, but mm-hmm. uh, it was a nice balance. Blue and Gold were, were flipping awesome. And enough people talk about Blue and Gold, so I managed to sneak in four there. And uh, number one, without a doubt, though, is Mr. Miracle. So much nice. so that I, I actually named my son after him. I think not Miracle, it's, it's just Scott. But uh, <laughs> wow! But uh, I named my son Scott after him. It was partially because of Scott Free and partially because of my Scottish background. But at the time, uh, I, I didn't tell my, which is now ex-wife, that uh, I kind of named him after a superhero. But uh, Scott... <laughs> I, I enjoy the character of Mr. Miracle because of his down-to-earth, which is ironic because he's not even from here, his down-to-earth mentality, his the escape artist, and I had a big thing for Harry Houdini when I was younger, mm. and also his relationship to Big Barda, which is just wonderful. I mean, Big Barda... What I understand, she was she was she was designed after that. What's her name? Uh, Lainey Kazan, I believe it was. I can't remember her name. She was a uh, she was a famous gorgeous lady, Kirby based. Uh, yeah. The thing that always come up, people say she's based on a Playboy playmate. It's not exactly true. She had a career. She just happened to have appeared in Playboy, and that's who he based. Right. On. Yeah. And now we all know her as the mother in the Big Fat Greek Wedding, which kind of now you're looking. Okay, well I don't see it. But uh, but it's just it's a few, Mr. It's Miracle a few years was, later. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Miracle was just one of those characters that the color, the costume, the design, his mask. I mean, McGuire does a fantastic Mr. Miracle to the point where to cosplay as Mr. Miracle is extremely difficult because his mask just takes his face. You, you got to face paint yourself to really get the full effect of a Mr. Miracle design. Yeah. And uh, because I don't know how it does it. It's apocalypse. Uh, I don't know what you call it. Uh, skin that happens there where it goes around the lips and up the nose. It's but McGuire does a fantastic miracle. And and it's just uh, he's a character who I think is not too silly, but lighthearted, but there when you need it. Has this uh, partner who is 
not taking any crap, but very protective at the same time. And it's a great relationship those two have. I, I couldn't agree more. The, and, and the fact that they, you know, based the suburban life mini, uh, ongoing series between those two was just a great, yeah. great idea. And props to you, sir, for naming your son after Mr. Miracle. I tried to get away with that, naming my daughter after Supergirl. I tried to suggest to my wife that, that we should name her Kara, and that wasn't going to fly. She, I think she sussed me out, and that wasn't happening. So <laughs> I thought you were going to name it after the Blue Devil or Firestorm or something like that. <laughs> I named it Blue Demon. That's the name of my daughter. That's right. <laughs> But hey, Blue, did you say Blue Demon? I did. On by the purpose, way, yes. Oh, okay. Just <laughs> this is me mocking you. You better get used to it, okay. Canadian Bacon. I will show. <laughs> uh, and also props for mentioning General Glory. You are the first person I believe who has given props to General Glory. So that's fantastic. He doesn't give enough recognition. Uh, General Glory was a fun character. Uh, he, he did have a limited time run and a limited amount of stuff you could do for it. But it, it was that Captain America sort of feel to him. But just it was what replaced Captain Marvel. It brought in a more male version of ice and uh, still had the innocence but still the power and someone that guy could bounce ideas off of and bounce his attitude off of and keep him in check at the same time and, and you know he doesn't get enough credit too because a lot of people had started to you know bail on the series by then or they feel like oh the series was starting to diminish which is why they led to breakdowns and whatnot but if you go back and read those general glory issues they're actually still very funny there are lots of fun. so well done yeah. sir. where he meets him at the convention is like the perfect introduction to this character <laughs> well uh I think you've made some very good choices there, and you've made some very good life decisions with your naming of your son. So well done, sir. Thank you. It beats naming him Darkside. So. <laughs> or Big Barda. That would be a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, since we're talking about other characters, we should take a second to talk about other comic books that feature JLI members in a segment I like to call... Monitor Duty. So JLI number 18 was on sale on June 14th, 1988. My thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics for that information. And uh, real quick, we're going to run through other titles that feature JLI members on sale, again, in June 1988. First up is Who's Who... Update 88 number 3, and included some of the characters that have met the JLI, such as Queen Bee and the Suicide Squad. And for more information on Who's Who, you can check out the Who's Who podcast, hosted by Rob Kelly and the Irredeemable Shag. Oh, that's me! I loved Who's Who. Absolutely loved Who's Who. I'm going to start giving you some shine here. I loved your podcast that you and Rob did on Who's Who. It was my first introductions to you and, and Rob and the entire uh, network. In the world of podcasts, you're going to find a podcast about anything. That's true. And so I decided I'm going to look for JLI. I couldn't find it at the time, but I did find Who's Who. I'm like, did you seriously? Somebody's podcasting about Who's Who? <laughs> so I immediately just – I grabbed the first one I found. I have no idea which one it was. And I heard you and Rob, and it was just – I was hooked. And so I went from the very beginning, and as I was painting my son's room, and it was this beautiful mural that goes from wall to wall, all four walls mm. of the – it's just the beautiful view of the uh, Gulf Islands to from Victoria to Vancouver. Beautiful work. And you were with me every paintbrush, every step, listening to Who's who I had to stop every once in a while to pull up the phone and check out the artwork by so-and-so and so-and-so. But it was just like you were there when I was painting that room. And uh, that room was entirely done listening to the entire Who's Who update. Wow. I, I'm almost speechless. I am not speechless. I, I'm never speechless. But I am definitely taken aback. Wow. Thank you. I, I'm honored. I really no, am. It, it was a great series, and I'm looking forward to the loose leaf versions now. Well, we first one's out. The first one with the loose leaf's out. The second one, by the time this episode actually drops, it may already be out. But oh, I, yeah, I missed it. 
okay. So we're cranking through the loose leaves already. And but thank you again. Thanks for for the nice words. And I, I'm glad if we played some small part in keeping you entertained. Now, I'm going to assume it was me, not Rob, because I mean, let's face it, it's Rob. But that's that's sure, fantastic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll take any opportunity I can to break my own arm, patting myself on the back. So well, we should keep going here before I blush any further. Let's get through the small volume of Batman books because, by the way, once we hit 1989, this is going to be a mess. So all right. Thankfully, we're still in 1988. Uh, Batman number 424 was on the shelves by Jim Starlin and Mark D. Bright. And this one, Batman and Robin battle a drug dealer and a rapist who happens to have diplomatic immunity. And in a shock ending, the crook falls to his death. And we're left wondering whether Robin, Jason Todd, pushed him. Also on the shelves was Detective Comics number 590 by John Wagner, Alan Grant, and Norm freaking Brayfogle. And that one, Batman follows some terrorists to London to prevent them from bombing Parliament. And then, lastly, there was Batman the Cult, number two, by Jim Starlin and Bernie Wrightson. And this one, Batman continues his struggle with Deacon Blackfire. You know, Batman the Cult, I think that was probably, if not the first, some of the first Batman comics I ever bought. Because when it came out, you know, it was this prestige format. It was a big deal. Batman, the Dark Knight Returns, and year one had just come out. was already a big deal. And so I thought, this is the next big one. This is the next huge thing. And, you know, at that point, when I'm at this age, age I'm stupid thinking comics are going to be worth something someday. So I, I ran out and bought it. And then... <laughs> You know, Bernie Wrightson and Jim Starlin, my brain, whoa, just blew me away. Unbelievable. Did you ever read The Cult? No, I did not. In fact, I didn't even know it existed until I saw it on the list. I was like, Batman was not Mm -hmm. my thing, but I I was aware of Detective Comics and stuff like that. But The Cult is, I'm unfamiliar with, unfortunately. Well, for folks who aren't even a Batman fan, Bernie Wrightson artwork is just something to be loved and praised anyway. So it's, uh, it's a great read. So, all right. For more on Batman during this era, check out our network's Batman Nightcast by Chris Franklin and Ryan Daly, both past guests of this show. All right. Also on the shelves was Captain Adam number 19 by Harry Bates, Greg Weissman, and Pat Broderick. In this issue, Captain Adam is battling some local drug dealers, which leads to burning some poppy fields on a small island. But sadly, it's still not enough to save a friend's ex-husband from dying of an overdose. For uh, more on Captain Adam, please check out Jay Jones' coverage over on the Silver and Gold podcast and the Splitting Adams blog. And Jay is also a past guest of this show. Also on the shelves, Action Comics Weekly, number 610 through 613, uh, featured a solo strip with Black Canary by Sharon Wright, Randy DeBurke, and Pablo Marcos. My guest and I talked a little bit about this story last episode. It's a cool vibe. It's got some great art. You definitely should be checking this out. And for more on Black Canary, please check out the Power of Fishnets podcast by Ryan Daly. Also a past guest of the show. And more on Action Comics Weekly, you can check out the Action Comics Weekly podcast with little Chad Bokelman. Again, another past guest of the show. You want to take the next one? Uh, next one, this is Doom Patrol number 13, which has got a cool cover to it because it looks like the cover of, what is it, number five yeah. of the Justice League with that one punch <laughs> event. And uh, the Doom Patrol is here to recover from their battle with Gargo? Gargox, I think his name is. I can't remember. I say Gargwax, but I, who knows? Oh, I like I that. Gargwax it is. Cliff gets a new body, and Val explains her sudden recovery. Then the police arrive to arrest Wayne as a murder suspect. I remember getting into Doom Patrol. The, uh, you were mentioning last last month about the, the Brotherhood of Dada. And, mm-hmm. man, as a, as a guy who studied artwork, Dadaism was, when I read that, I was totally in, too. So Doom Patrol is really weird, but I loved it. So I'm really glad you mentioned the thing about the cover, because believe it or not, I forgot about it. Uh, I actually put this one on the list because Power Girl makes an appearance in the issue, and Power Girl is going to be part of the upcoming Justice. League Europe in just a few months, so I thought, you know, it'd be kind of nice to mention her six months before her first appearance, uh, yes. or, or before she joins the League, I should say. But you're absolutely right, I completely forgot about the cover. I mean, you've got Negative Woman being held back, just like Guy Gardner was on the cover, and uh, holding her back is Robot Man and Tempest, which was just like, was it, Captain Marvel and uh, Mr. Miracle was holding back Guy yeah, Gardner. exactly. And so it, it's a lovely 
homage. And it's only, what, uh, you know, a year later? So I noticed also with the design, the artist who, uh, who's, who's a cover artist? Is it was it Larson. With the cover, it's almost by scale, the color of the background, it's almost exact uh, reproduction of the GLI issue. It was, re- it's what caught my eye immediately. The teeth, the gnashing, it's fantastic cover. Yeah. It, it just amazes me though that just within a year, that cover had become so iconic that other car- comics were already parodying it with just within just a year. That's right. amazing. Oh, so good. For more on the Doom Patrol, please check out the Waiting for Doom podcast hosted by our friends Paul and Mike. And since we're mentioning Power Girl, I'll mention one more. Her own miniseries concluded this same month with Power Girl number four by Paul Kupperberg and Rick Hoberg. And there's a name, Rick Hoberg, someone who doesn't get nearly enough credit for being an amazing artist. I love Rick Hoberg. So uh, if you haven't read the Power Girl miniseries, you should check it out. It does deal with Atlantis and all that stuff with the retcon of her origin, but still, it's Power Girl. Definitely a good thing. thing. (laughs) Absolutely. All right, folks, with that out of the way, we're going to take a quick podcast promo break. And when we come back, we're going to get into Justice League International number 18. It's midnight, the podcasting hour. From fetid swamps to creepy castles, the podcasting hour is your home for horror on the Fire and Water Network. Join me. DJ Frightful on this quarterly anthology podcast that gazes into the mysterious and terrifying shadows of DC Comics. The moon is full and the bell tolls for midnight, the podcasting hour. Coming soon from Robin, everyone loves the Drake. A Batman Universe Podcast Network production. It's the radio drama you've demanded. Well, it's the one Rob produced and made into a four-part weekly radio drama. From the pages of Detective Comics comes A Lonely Place of Living. Where in the world is Tim Drake? Red Robin faces a crucial decision. Escape the most devious prison ever devised or find himself abandoned beyond time and space for all eternity. Not really a choice, right? But when he finds out just who is locked in there with him, Tim's world will change in ways he never imagined. In the biggest undertaking Robin Everyone Loves the Drake has ever attempted, ELTD Theater is in full swing, with over 20 voice actors from a variety of popular podcasts lending their talents to make the comics come alive. Featuring Justin Kowalski as Batman. And all the time he's been out there, lost and trapped, knowing that at the end of the day his mentor was one of the world's greatest detectives on the planet. He knew I was coming. I wasn't! And I can't stop until I bring him home. Andrew Leland as Alfred. Master Bruce, you need to sleep even just a few hours. I'm getting ready to pull out one of Dr. Crane's more narcotic gases from the laboratory if you continue like this. Andy Gijanova as Nightwing. Robin? You want me to go back to being Robin? I can't. Just as I can't go back to being 13 again. But you're right. Batman needs me. Maybe instead of arguing with him, I should try and help him. Olivia Mullins is Batwoman. Unconscious the next roof over. We could turn him over to Argus. I know they'll want someone to answer for his crimes. Stella Bowman as Spoiler. Hey, Dad. How's your night going? Still dead? Yeah, thought so. The irredeemable Shag as Brother Eye. Brother Eye is now online. Michael Bailey as Mr. Oz. Your mentor. He recently learned that you were alive. That you were trapped. But search as he might, he cannot find you. 
He hasn't slept in five nights, save for moments that he nods off in the chair. It consumes him. Rob Myers as Red Robin. I thought, I thought I would impress him. The way that I pieced it all together, and God, I wanted to impress him. I'd only met him once, just as a boy. I was terrified of the circus, but he calmed me down, and he told me that he would be performing just for me. And many, many more. The first episode hits the first Wednesday in May, so prepare your ears for the story that changes everything for Tim Drake. Hold on tight, Tim. As tight as you can to every moment, because this will all be over sooner than you can imagine. And we're back, folks. Now, before we get into the issue, I do want to remind you, if you want to see some of the images from this issue, head out to our website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. Go up to the JLI show, and there will be a gallery post accompanying this episode. We're going to post some of the images, not all of them. You know the drill here, folks. Go out and buy the freaking comic. It's not hard. If you can't find it in the store, you can buy it digitally, for goodness sake. Take care of yourself. You're a grown-up. Oh, my gosh. You're just embarrassing. Anyway, uh, you can go out to our website, and you can check some of the images, some of the ones that uh, Rob and I decide to talk a little more about than others. And while you're there, be sure to leave a comment on the post as, all, as well. We would love to hear from you. All right. This is Justice League International number 18 from DC Comics, cover dated October 1988. Cover price, 75 cents. Three shiny quarters. Oh, so good. Or one dollar in Canada. Ha <laughs> ha! <laughs> Suckers. <laughs> um, Pretty much. You guys had to pay more. You're too busy with the hockey tax. So anyway, um, <laughs> cover is by Kev McGuire and Joe Rubenstein. Why don't you describe the cover to our friends at home? So this cover is a beautiful cover. McGuire's artwork. It's got Lobo grabbing Guy Gardner by the collar and threatening his dear, innocent, loving little life. That Stan Laurel look on his face, that single tear running down his cheek. It's just a wonderful cover because McGuire is a wonderful artist when it comes to facial features. He did this wonderful, I can't remember what episode it was. It's got uh, Guy and Mr. Miracle just talking with each other. And for eight panels, it's just facial features, facial features, facial features. And it's just wonderfully done. And the way he draws Lobo and the wrinkles in the eyes, the mouth, it's just beautiful work. And uh, it's it's a fantastic cover. Next month, it's reversed. I, 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 oh, I'm sorry, Bob. You can only, well, you, you're stealing somebody I'm else's sorry. thunder there. I'm you, sorry. You, well, you, you can say it at that. Okay. It, it's, reversed. it's reversed. There you go. And uh, that's all I'll say. But um, <laughs> it's a wonderful cover. And one small other thing is this sounds really silly because uh, I'm a guy who originally bought his comic books off the rack. The UPC, uh, the UPC code or the SKU code? The bottom, bottom right. left. Mm-hmm. I didn't know they could put pictures in there. And here's the, okay. I just didn't know that. And so when I go to the comic book stores, they're like, they got these little pictures and JLIs in that little corner. And it was for me, it was, it was quite, it was quite uh, eye opening as a kid to see these little things. They can replace that. So I love the UPC box. I love this little JLI logo they put in there. It's so cute. It's just nice and compact. I was going to say, if someone could find the font for this, uh, for the Justice League International logo, let me know. You got to let me know because I've been looking for this style font for years. And it's just I'm a, I'm a big font guy, and I love the JLI fonts. Pretty sure it was hand drawn, and so someone would have to go through and reconstruct it, and then guess what you know the letter Q would look like and stuff like. Well, I guess Quarterly probably has it, doesn't it? Yeah. But you know you could probably piece it together. Someone who who enjoyed creating fonts who had no life apparently. But um, <laughs> what am I to say? I podcast about comic books. I have no life. <laughs> a couple other things. Yes, you talked about the positioning. One of the nice things too is is the way McGuire has positioned the bodies because Lobo is above. 
above, uh, like yes. top left, and guy is down low, being you know with Lobo looking down at him, which again becomes important next month, which we'll find out then. But uh, it really is a powerful cover, and you're right, it's not in the issue. It's not in the issue. They did this last month. They do this this month. It's constant. It's like they got my money. Don't have to lie to me. Well, but uh, it's wonderful. It's a nice tease, and it's just a great image of what is soon to come. Yes, exactly. It works better after when you read next issue for the content of that one with the one two cover. It works great. Now, also worth mentioning, it does say on the cover here, it says bonus book, free 16-page second feature, huh? which yeah. we're going to talk about when we get in here. So, all right. Well, folks, the main story is called Where No League Has Gone Before. Nice playoff, Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Creators are Plot and Breakdowns by Keith Giffen, script by J.M.D. Mateus, penciler is Kevin McGuire, inkers Al Gordon, letters Bob LePan, colorist is Gene D'Angelo, and editor is Andy Helfer. Love that team. Love that team. So... I got to take a second before we do the recap. I got to mention something. Uh, our buddy Martin Gray from the Scottish Embassy uh, a while back sent me some copies of uh, a magazine. It's called Superman Magazine. It was distributed in England or the UK, I should say, by London Editions Magazines. And and Martin was an editor on this book. And it is reprints of American com- DC comic books in in a larger magazine format for the UK market. And in these two issues, issue forty six and forty seven, they actually reprint JLI number eighteen. So I got to read in magazine size, in gorgeous, you know, much larger size, JL, Justice League International number 18. So I've read it now in the regular comic book. I read it digitally on my, um, on my, on my tablet. And now I've also read it here in this large format. And it is absolutely stunning. I cannot thank Martin enough. And it's really fun to read the letters pages because people are writing letters specifically to Martin, which is fun. And, uh, and he's responding. It's so weird. It's like, I know this guy. He's, wow. So it's really cool. And they, there's neat stuff in here. They reprint some Superman issues. They reprint a DC comics presents they reprint the backside of some who's who entries uh and then you get you know you get some secret origin stories in here and you get the jli stuff it's really really a cool collection so thank you so much again martin for sending these to me they are an absolute treasure and it made reading this issue even more fun that's enough of me being nice to martin i don't want to make a habit of that so rob do you want to uh, recap the first half of the comic you got it okay so we start off with a serious almost poetic introduction to space very william shatner like I, I that's how i read it and he's talking about they're talking about silence and space and emptiness. But this beautiful moment comes to a crashing halt as the JLI booms into frame, thanks to Bard patching the power one into the ship's engine. Again, very trick-like with the techno babble in this scene. While Nort and Rock and Red try to keep their lunch down, Barda and John look for Manga Khan and the cluster who have kidnapped Mr. Miracle, but can't find them. Nort is told, very loudly by Barda, to search the area with his ring, and after a few moments by checking the manual and a, a near hull breach, Barda needs to control her temper, the cluster scracks into view. Love the sound effects <laughs> of this one. Much of the surprise of Manga Khan and his best pal, as Elrond says it, Elrond, uh, who assumed Earth was at a technological disadvantage to keep up. Megacon starts on with his self-described melodramatic monologues on how Mr. Miracle is the key to opening the trade routes with Apocalypse. See, Lucas? Trade routes can be a good plot point if you do it right. <laughs> Megacon eventually puts the call out to a bounty hunter to get rid of the JLI. That call goes out to everybody's favorite Czarnarians, Czarnian, <laughs> is that how you pronounce it? Psychopath and space bike enthusiast Lobo. While Lobo feeds his cosmic dolphins as one does, he does his own melodramatic monologuing and he gets a call from Megacon to eliminate the JLI. The price? 10 year supply of dolphin mix. So we're talking top-tier bounty hunter here. 
Boba Fett's got nothing on him. Uh, Lobo accepts and takes off in his space chopper and eager to go kill someone finally again. Back at the standoff, both the Cluster and Jedi sense something's coming. A nice little multi-four-panel, two-panel spread there. Looks really cool how they echo each other. Unfortunately for the JLI, that something is Lobo, and he crashes into the ship, announcing that he is there to kill them and to make peace with their gods. And remember, nothing's personal. While everyone is a bit confused, or in Nort's case, petrified, Barda makes a run for her mega rod and asks John to let him in. Eventually, the airlock opens, and Lobo announces in what I assume is his very best Michael Keaton Beetlejuice voice. Hiya, kid. Who dies first? <laughs> well, then this, the book is interrupted with a the 16-page bonus book, which we will come back to when we finish covering the main story. So I'll take it from here, though. With Lobo successfully aboard the JLI ship, Lord Manga Khan seems satisfied that the JLI are done for. So the cluster ship warps away on a heading for Apocalypse. Back on the JLI ship, Lobo is very calmly discussing their impending deaths with the heroes. He explains it's very simple. If they submit without a struggle, it'll be easier for Lobo, and it'll be easier for the JLI members. It's kind of creepy how calm Lobo is. He's sort of like the space version of Walking Dead's Negan. It's uh, it's very freaky. <laughs> Barta tells the League to stall Lobo. She's got a plan, but she needs some more time. Dimitri tries to talk reason into Lobo, but the intergalactic assassin simply tears the rocket red armor off of him. Dimitri is left with no powers or protection, and Lobo prepares to kill him. Lobo explains it's nothing personal, and even offers to send a condolence card to Dimitri's wife. Martian Manhunter saves Dimitri by attacking Lobo, and we get a couple of pretty cool pages of Jean using his stretching and shape-shifting to keep Lobo busy. Nord gets in the act by encasing Lobo in a green energy bubble. Unfortunately, the Green Lantern ring is powered by willpower, and Lobo's willpower is far greater than Nort's. Lobo walks right through the bubble, grabs the Green Lantern, and throws Nort like a weapon to knock down Martian Manhunter. With Dimitri, Martian Manhunter, and Nort effectively down, Lobo says he's done playing games. Thankfully, Big Barda has finished her work. She stands there in full apocalyptian armor and gives Lobo one last chance to leave. Lobo smirks and lunges at the female fury. Barda casually raises her reassembled mega rod, and in a striking half-page piece opens a boom tube around Lobo, teleporting him far away from the JLI ship. When asked, Barta explains she has no idea where he was teleported. It was a random setting, but she assures the team that Lobo is far away from them. She then insists they get busy and find the cluster so she can rescue her husband. Next, the reader's perspective shifts to Earth at the JLI Embassy. We check in with her other heroes, Booster Gold, Blue Beetle, Ice Maiden, Green Flame, Oberon, and Guy Gardner. They're discussing Blue Beetle's idea of holding a JLI membership drive. <laughs> with the other JLI members in space, they're drastically underpowered at the moment. Most of the folks are opposed to the membership drive idea, except for Guy Gardner, who's oblivious to the entire discussion. If you remember, roughly a year ago, Guy suffered a head injury that left him acting very different. Gone was the cynical and violent personality, replaced by like an introspective one and you know, full of politeness. And here, Guy is less interested in the JLI dealings and more interested in reading Leonard Nimoy's autobiography. <laughs> in fact, he comments on Leonard Nimoy's poetry. <laughs> The discussion about a possible membership drive is interrupted when unexpectedly, boom! Remember Lobo in that random boom tube setting? Well, the other end of the boom tube opens inside the JLI Embassy sitting room, and something, presumably Lobo, goes streaking across the room and through a nearby wall, in the process smacking poor Guy Gardner in the back of the head. As the other heroes inspect the damage, Guy begins to push himself up off the floor. With a snarling expression and a mad gleam in his eye, Guy sings, I'm back! The caption box reads, 
the moment you've all been waiting for. The return of the one, the only, the thoroughly rotten Guy Gardner. Didn't really think he was going to stay sweet forever, did you? Oh, man, still got chills on that one. That's awesome. Oh, man, so good, so good. Tell you what, before we start talking about the issue, why don't I do the recap on the bonus book real quick? We'll knock that out, uh, and, and then we'll come back and talk about the main issue. Does that seem fair? That sounds great. Okay, and the reason I'm doing this, folks, is the bonus book is, it is JLI related, but it's not done by Giffen, DiMatteis, or McGuire. Uh, it's done by an entirely different creative team. So while I do want to touch on it on the show, it really doesn't fall under the sort of the, the mandate of the show of being focused on the, you know, Giffen DiMatteis era. So. All right, I'll race through this fairly quickly. The bonus book is called Raising the Roof. It's 16 pages plus a creator bio page. It's bonus book number seven, as there were several of them throughout DC Comics this time of year. And uh, here's your creative team. Entirely new names for us, folks. Writer Mark Aswith, penciler James Webb, inker Mark Pennington, letter Duncan Andrews, colorist Danny Vazo. And uh, the first page is, is a splash page, and effectively it's the cover of the bonus book. It's got Booster and Beetle and Mr. Miracle all sort of cowering, and this large shadow is overwhelming them as someone is, this, this female form is clearly coming towards them. And Beetle goes, she's big! And uh, Mr. Miracle says, she's mad! And Booster goes, she's big! And he says, the wrath of Barda. <laughs> Now, the story opens on domestic bliss between Mr. Miracle and Big Barda. Barda is cooking dinner while Scott is failing miserably at ironing his cape. Meanwhile, downstairs, Oberon is packing up some equipment and accidentally triggers an old device from the original Mr. Miracle, Thaddeus Brown. The device shoots fireworks into the air, forming the words Mr. Miracle, but unfortunately, the same explosion destroys Scott and Barda's home at the same time. Afterwards, Scott and Barda move into the JLI embassy. Barda tries to help out around the embassy by doing cleaning and cooking and shopping and things like that, but she ends up disrupting the lives of the other leaguers to the point of frustration. After the leaguers offend Barda by refusing her help, Batman devises a strategy to satisfy everyone. The League will rebuild Scott and Barda's home. Everyone in the League helps out. Most notably, Booster Gold, who dumps the remains of the old house on the neighbor's lawn. These poor folks, these are the same folks whose house was wrecked in JLI Annual Number 2. And then Guy Gardner provides the nails to hold the new house together. Comedy ensues when, when several members each devise their own improvements to the house design. The resulting house looks like a chaotic mishmash of design styles. It includes Russian, Martian, uh, 30th century, which truthfully should have been 25th century, but, <laughs> uh, and designs from New Genesis. Big Barda loves the look of the new house, but unfortunately it all comes crashing down. Turns out that the nails Guy Gardner was distributing to everyone were actually Green Lantern ring constructs. So when his ring ran out of energy, the nails disappeared, and the house simply fell apart. The story ends with the neighbors laughing hysterically and the JLI leaving, making plans to find Scott and Barda other accommodations, and Barda is trying to kill Guy Gardner for destroying her dream house. <laughs> so what did you think of the bonus book? Uh, it was cute. I was thinking it's, it would fit its episode of Teen Titans Go more than anything else, because Batman <laughs> was quite uh, he's quite pleasant in this one, which was quite surprising, but it was a cute story. The, the, the punchline with the, the Green Lantern nails was actually pretty funny yes cute is the word for it that I, I that is exactly the same word i came up with it's a cute story it's it's sort of a prototype for the kind of stories we would get non-giffen non-dematteis stories like in justice League quarterly and stuff like yeah. that it, it is sort of a prototype for that style and at first i wasn't very forgiving of the story i guess because the art is I'll, I'll say it the art's a little uneven mm-hmm. so it, yeah. it, it is a little hard to adjust to it and so i wasn't terribly fond of it but now i've read the story a couple times in preparation and actually i think it really holds up pretty well uh, as a story if you imagine it, sort of with Kevin McGuire artwork, you can actually really see in the jokes and stuff echoes of, of Giffen and DiMatteis' uh, mm-hmm. style of humor. So I thought it was pretty decent. The humor is totally there. Yeah, it's just uh, I think the one change you would do if you were doing this with Mateus and them 
is uh, take out Batman's role because he is very out of character in this whole thing. You'd want to install maybe it's John's role or, or something like that. But it's it's is a cute story, and it's almost something that you see in the early seventies. Even it's that sort of um, happy-go-lucky attitude. Okay, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. I, I really liked. The, I cued in a lot of the banter. Like there's some great bits between Scott and, and Barta where they're talking. About, like she's actually joking about being Madame Miracle at one point, taking over his. Yes. Room, which is cute. And there's some great yeah. bits between Scott and Oberon because the recap really doesn't do the humor justice. But there's this, and I'm not going to get into it, but Oberon's lugging these crates around while Scott's ironing his cape, and they both have individual dialogue, which contradicts what the other one said, and it's very funny. Yeah. So it's, it's really clever, really well done. Well, the neighbors are great in this one, too. Yes. The, the, they, they remind me of my own parents. If my parents were living next to these guys, they'd be complaining and stuff, but at the same time, it's just, oh, woe was me. Yes, and I love the callback to the JLI uh, annual number two. That was great with yeah. the neighbors. Now, and I, I know I said the art was uneven. I'm not trying to bag on it. The art is very serviceable. You're reading a book wrapped around it by Kevin McGuire, and then you get to this. There's, there's no way it can compare, you know. But there are some fun bits. Like, I don't know yeah. if you noticed, when Bart is cooking, she actually uses her fingernail to open the can of uh, cranberry <laughs> sauce. <laughs> okay, I did see that. I was trying to figure if that's what I saw or not. And I was like, I thought, I thought maybe she was just poking the lid open. But no, it's like, is she opening with her fingernail? Yep, which is pretty great. In this particular bonus book, if you want to read it, it's not reprinted as wide and far as you think it would be. Uh, it didn't make it any of the trade paperbacks. The only place you can find it right now is, you know, either find the original issue or you can buy the digital issue on Comixology of issue 18. It is, in, it is entailed in there and it's included in the omnibus that came out recently. But again, if you buy the original trade paperbacks for Just League International, it is not included in there. So for me, this is actually the first time I've read this story in a long time because I, I tend to read the trades. And as mm-hmm. we read the trades, you know, this isn't in there. I kind of forgot it even existed. So now one of the big things about these bonus books was the intent was to introduce the readers to new upcoming talent in the comic industry. So just trip hammering real quick here through the creative folks on this book and where, where they went on to be, because none of them are household names at this point. However, they've all had really interesting careers. Mark Asworth went on to write The Prisoner uh, for a miniseries for DC. He wrote a couple of Batman stories and some independents. Well, I dug deeper because at that I thought, oh, he didn't really do a lot in, in, in the world of publication. Turns out, no, that's not it at all. In 1989, he changed career paths and became a full-time television producer and a writer. And uh, one of the first programs he ever produced was a series called Prisoners of Gravity that ran for 139 episodes over five seasons. And then Asworth was one of the founding producers of the Canadian channel called Space. And as I understand oh, it, wow. that's the equivalent of the Sci-Fi channel. Uh, that, yes. So that's a pretty big deal. I knew he was Canadian, but uh, I wouldn't realize he was involved in the Space Channel. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, then James Webb, who was the penciler, he worked on a few independent comics, but it turns out he found more success in the field of animation. He worked on series like Beavis and Butthead, Daria, Venture Brothers, mm-hmm. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, he also worked for DC's licensing department, creating some action designs based upon the Legion of Superheroes animated series. That's pretty awesome. Yes, it is. Uh, Mark Pennington, now by the time Mark, now he's the inker, by the time he did this, he'd already had some experience with published uh, inking prior to that, but he went on to a lengthy career uh, inking for Marvel and DC and Valiant, and plus he did some penciling as well. And he's still working today for the big comic book companies. So good on you, Mark. And then last, Danny Vazo, uh, who was the colorist, he was really new to comics at this point. He colored only a handful of comics before he did this bonus book. He went on to be nominated for multiple Eisner Awards as a colorist on books like Sandman, Doom Patrol, Shade the Changing Man, and The Invisibles. So 
Wow. Did these um, bonus books actually produce a lot of uh, future artists and designers and, and, and writers uh, through these whole DC um, series, I guess? I guess I guess my, guess my question is, did the was there uh, a lot of success that came out of these bonus books? I'm speaking really off the cuff. I haven't done the research on it. Uh, and I honestly, I don't remember many of the bonus books. Some of them were like you know, the little boy blue and stuff like that. So it was characters that weren't really in the public consciousness anyway. So I can't really tell you whether... Uh, it did that or not. Folks, in fact, you guys at home are probably more knowledgeable about this than I am because I'm just a stupid dork with a microphone. Uh, <laughs> let us know in the comments if some of these bonus books, uh, writers and artists went on to fame. Like, Is there a household name embedded in here that we didn't even realize is out there? Now, I would say that this sort of story right here, not not the creators, but the story itself, may have even been a bit of a template for the ongoing Mr. Miracle series. You know, could could we do a domestic bliss story with, with Barda and Scott? It may have been sort of where they were thinking when they did this. Kind of a test mark. Yeah, could be. Okay, well, we've got that out of the way, folks. We do want to hear your comment about the bonus book, but we really want to get in and discuss the main story for JLI number 18, Lobo, you know, Guy Gardner getting a bump on his head. What would you think of this one, buddy? I really did enjoy this one. It's full of just a lot of the yeah, Lobo's introduction at the time. I wasn't an Omega Man reader, so I didn't know who Lobo was. So this was a great introduction of him. Just, again, I'm going to just love McGuire's work. The way he was popping through that uh, big, giant green bubble was great imagery. It was kind of cool to see Barda taking the foreground and just being a, a leader on top of John. You know, John being the leader, but Barda, is, it's, it's different. It's personal. So her role in this whole issue was just really fun to see. I, I got to echo that. Yeah, it's, this issue is a fantastic spotlight for Barda. I mean, not only in the bonus book as well, but in the main story, because you, you mentioned leadership. That's the word I key down as well. She is almost like a team leader here. They could have took this in a different direction, and she could have became the team leader for the JLI, honestly. Uh, it's also a, a, basically their way of saying, you know, we've lost Black Canary, but, you know, you've seen Fire and Ice and Duty on active now. You've seen Miss, uh, Big Barda. They're going to take a big role in this series in giving strong female characters, and Barda is fantastic. I absolutely love her. And she's also very clever. I mean, she came up with a plan on how to defeat Lobo. Yes, you know? it brings that other worldly knowledge that, strange enough, Nort actually had too, because only two people on that ship knew who this guy was. Nort was too busy piddling in the corner about it, and Barda was <laughs> was actually doing something about it. But it it kind of it, it tells you a bit about Nort as well that he does know something that these Earthlings don't, and so it's it's a nice little touch what they added there. And, and that really, that was some nice building tension that yes. was done in such a way where because they're freaking out about it being Lobo, but they won't tell anybody why. So there's this this panic on the reader's part and on John's part and 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 Dimitri's part going, okay, why is this Lobo guy a big deal? What's going on? Why are you so worried? And so it just builds the tension and builds the tension and builds the tension. So it was very effective. I thought it was done well. I wasn't familiar with Lobo beforehand. I do own the Omega Man. Uh, issue and they even have that Hembeck alien in there as well that he he eliminates in in that issue but was he a, was he a badass then too or was this kind of the very real introduction of Lobo Well I have to admit I have never read the Omega Men series I read the first issue and that's all I needed to read my buddy Rob's a big fan of the series but so I, I really can't answer your questions what that boils down to but I can tell you he appeared seven times in the Omega Men Oh okay when he was created uh, now Omega Men was over by 
this point, by the way, as well. The, the series yes. had completed publication, so Lobo was homeless at this point. Lobo first appeared in Omega Man number three, which is cover dated June 1983, and uh, the creation is credited to Roger Sliffer. I think I'm saying that right. I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. And Keith Giffen. <laughs> and in it, in there, you know, Lobo is established as this villainous mercenary whose entire race, which was not the Zarnians, by the way, it was the uh, Velorpians, I think is how you say that, and they actually had been exterminated by the Scions, who were the bad guys in the Omega Men series. So that was obviously later retconned so that Lobo himself wiped out his entire race. But Lobo's introduced, right? And he, when they created him, he was really supposed to be a parody of Wolverine, you know? Yeah. And then this JLI appearance, I, I firmly believe, is really what kickstarted his popularity. Because Omega mm-hmm. Men was only selling so many copies. Sorry, guys. But JLI was huge <laughs> exposure. And think about how many times the Lobo appears immediately after this. He takes off like crazy, and he took on a life of his own. I mean, he, in the 1990s, he was as big a, uh, a star as, like, Deadpool and Cable. I mean, that's yeah, crazy. It was massive. Yeah. I remember the Lobo craze, and now you still see him in, in little things like Justice League Unlimited and stuff popping up here and there. Yeah. I mean, they're talking about a potential live-action movie with him, too. So. Oh, I didn't know that. That's I, I awesome. don't I mean. Everything in Hollywood is being talked about potentially, so who knows if it's really going to happen. But there, there has been talk in recent times. Now, it, it, interesting to use Lobo in this issue because he, he's very, very nasty, right? But it's a JLI comic. So there's a, so there's a comic element to his violence, you know, lots of jokes. And, uh, you know, as a reader, I was a little worried we might get a situation like last issue with, you know, or a couple issues ago with Wanjina and Harjavati where there was like sudden gore and like <gasps> shock and awe. But right now it's just mostly puns and slapstick. Uh, so it's an interesting take on Lobo, especially compared to the way he'll be seen in a few years when he's got his own series and he's literally slicing through anything in his way. It's very, very different, but it's a PG yeah. sort of version of Lobo. Yeah. I, 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 that's probably why when I was reading it, I kept thinking of Michael Keaton's Beetlejuice. It's, it was the face, it was the little, whatever that mustache thing he's got around his lip, but it was, it was, <laughs> the facial features were, were bang on too. And it's just, I had that sort of sarcastic, but comedy feel to it, but yet there's a psychological path in there that uh, will be developed later on by other artists and other writers. And it is interesting that the the side of Lobo here, as you said, the psychopath side, is extremely calm. Yeah. You know, whereas he's not yelling, fetal's giz, and all this stuff, and, and swinging a hook. He's just like, yeah, I'm going to kill you. It's okay, though. But it's, it's, it's because of the cosmic dolphins. You have to understand this. It's very calming. Yes, that's true. It is very calming. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad you mentioned McGuire's artwork on Lobo, because he really created a look for his face, like the facial structure on here. And you'll see some of this in the gallery, folks. He's a a darn cool-looking character. He's really cool. I mean, it's funny. The clothes are very plain. You know, they're yes. they're, very, they're space biker, but like really subdued to compare what, he wear, what he'll wear later. But the facial features just look amazing. The way uh, McGuire interpreted the character at the time, I just That's- absolutely love it. It's complete 180 from his original appearance as well, where he looked like, I don't know, it's, it looked like your run-of-the-mill uh, villain in spandex. It's like it's like watching your professional wrestlers. You know, they're in their onesies, and all of a sudden they've got a gimmick. They've got a fast, they got this fantastic gimmick that just pushes them. I mean, Steve Austin at one point, he was just a regular wrestler. But once he got the put the vest on and the skulls, he became a completely different person. But the attitude didn't change. It was just keep just a little more pronounced, a little more louder. I, I didn't think in Canada you guys were allowed to like wrestling. That seems too not polite. I, I don't know. Dude, dude, Canada is wrestling, man. The dungeon, <laughs> Bret Hart, my God. Oh. You got you to gotta bone up on Canadian history, dude. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm right, I'll get right on that. <laughs> I'll get my hockey puck and my... And your Bret Hart's. Exactly. There we go. I'm going to sit down with Wayne Gretzky. He can tell me all about it. So... <laughs> 
I, one of the things that surprised me in this issue was I didn't realize this came out this early on, but Barta warns Martian Manhunter not to injure Lobo too severely because if he bleeds, each drop of blood will grow another Lobo. Now I remember that from the Lobo series. I remember yes. that from the the Acronym Legion series. Uh, and you know what? Showing my 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 ignorance here, maybe it was in the Omega Men series. I don't know, but I was shocked to find out that was such an early part of the character's history because you know it becomes a big deal. You know, they, people talk about that all the time. That one line stuck with me for a long time, and I was just. Like I remember reading the Lobos, and there's lots of blood, but I don't remember a bunch of little Lobos. I just it was is it one of those um, legendary tales that people heard of? Oh, this Lobo, you cut him in half. There's two of them. You know, it's just one of those weird little tales that people tell their kids at night to stay in bed. <laughs> well, it, it was true. He had that ability. But then if I remember right, Vril Docs, I think the term they used was neutered him, if I remember right, uh, yeah. and took that ability away, I believe, when he was part of the Acronym Legion. Now, there's a, there's a great joke in this issue about how the word, uh, and it goes continues into the next issue as well, how Lobo is uh, how, you know, we as humans translate it as the wolf. <laughs> but it actually transfers to uh, translates to an obscure Kundian dialect, which means he who devours your entrails and thoroughly enjoys it. Which awesome pretty, much, line. pretty much sums up Lobo, you know, in a nutshell. Yeah. There, <laughs> it's an awesome line. It's a, it's a great little tagline for him. And uh, I just got two more little things to share that are real world perspectives on the character. You know, Keith Giffen was interviewed back in 2006, and he actually said, "I have no idea why Lobo took off. I came up with him as an indictment." of Punisher and Wolverine hero prototype, and somehow he caught on as the high-violence poster boy. Go figure! <laughs> Following that up, talking about how popular this is, the part that amazed me. Uh, in 2012, there was a Ask Me Anything, you know, that those things, a uh, YouTube video, and the person who did the video said that Lobo was their favorite DC comic character. And that person was Stan Lee. Oh, wow. <laughs> Can you believe That's that? That's so crazy. We'll see <laughs> so, him in the upcoming movie, too, now, I guess. Right. Yeah, I'm sure he'll have a cameo. Why not, you know? Ripped in half or something like that. <laughs> well, we could get miles and miles out of talking about this bastage. But, uh, <laughs> and that phrase is not in the, in the in the book. Neither is Frag, by the way. I did want to talk about one other thing in this book, not about Lobo, but about Guy himself. Oh, I've I'm got cur- some Guy stuff to talk about, but go ahead. Oh. Okay, so my question is for, for Guy, was his tame personality successful? Because I always felt that this was just the way to get it out of, you know, with now with uh, Ice involved, is did they find that his, his tame personality uh, a success, or was it just, I just sense that this was like, we got to get him back to the way he was. People might miss him the way he was, because I know I did at this time. In fact, they didn't do a whole heck of a lot with him during this whole period. You make a lot of good points that echo my notes as well. So the deal is, you know, as, as Guy obviously reverts to his original persona. And it makes you wonder, in my case, I was wondering if Giffen and DiMatteo simply just ran out of material for the nice version of Guy Gardner. Because, you know, in the past, I've sort of speculated why they turned him nice, because that's a big question, too. I really need to ask Giffen and DiMatteo this at some point. But why did they turn Guy nice? And I've always, my speculation has always been because Captain Marvel was leaving the team. So they needed that, you know, their term, white bread, sort of naive character in the series. They needed a replacement. And uh, it, they also might have been worried that Guy Gardner's shtick, of, and this is purely my speculation here, folks. They might have been worried that Guy Gardner's rotten shtick was a bit of a one-note sort of thing. Because so I interviewed Jerry Conway several years ago, uh, and we were talking about Firestorm. And he said something similar about one of his supporting characters, a character named Cliff Carmichael in Firestorm. He said, when you have a reoccurring nasty character, you really don't have a lot of different places you can go with them. And after a while, it just it's kind of hard to come up with stuff for him. So, again, my speculation that maybe that's why they turned Guy Gardner nice. I could be completely wrong. I have no idea. I mean, I'm really good at being wrong. In fact, I'm spectacular at being wrong. So, <laughs> well, maybe someday we'll get a chance to find out. Yeah, if you're wrong. You may- 
that I'm probably <laughs> wrong. So you made also a very good point. They didn't really do a lot with Guy, you know? Uh, nice Guy, that is. If you go back and look at the past year of JLI comics, they didn't get much mileage out of him being sweet and nice. In fact, he's left out of nearly every major storyline. So... This I bonus think, book actually had more guy than what I remember from the last few episodes. Yeah, that's probably true. So either they, they didn't have enough material for the character to do, and they decided to throw Guy Gardner back in the mix, or they just came up with some ideas of saying, okay, if we if we had a more uh, antagonist on the team that gives us more story ideas, I'm not really sure what it was, but uh, whatever the reason, uh, Guy is obviously back in in his full glory, and you know they they get mileage and mileage and mileage out of nasty Guy for like the next four years. It is, it's absolutely fantastic what they work out with Guy. And General Glory, I'm glad you mentioned him earlier. That was an interesting idea to introduce a character which made Guy sympathetic. Mm-hmm. One last thing I did want to mention which was worth talking about is Dimitri. Uh, mm-hmm. because this does become a bit important point. You know, we mentioned Lobo ripped Dimitri's armor apart. Well, this is the end of Dimitri in the standard Rocket Red issue armor. Good. Yeah. I did not like that armor. It was great at first, but it just didn't seem like it was practical. His second armor is fantastic. Ah, see. Maybe in this reread it'll grow on me, but I've always loved the first armor more. I've always loved the first armor. It's, it's There's a nostalgic cool. feel to it. I just like the design. Not even nostalgic. I just think it looks cool. So mm. now uh, a couple of I have art notes here and there. You know, Kevin McGuire, we've talked we've 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 praised him and we should because we don't get a lot more opportunities to do this. But just even on the first page, when the ship comes booming in, I love the angle it's at. You know, it, yeah. it looks to me like it's not so much flying through the boom tube as it's falling through the boom tube. Because yeah. the angle it's tilting, it looks like it's just sort of like falling out of the boom tube at super fast speed. I, I, I thought that was very clever. It was. It was this nice little angle. Exactly. Like it just had no control as it was going through. Yep. There's a great splash page on page four with the cluster ship uh, uh, you know, appearing suddenly mm-hmm. above our hero ship, which really dwarfs them. It feels like sort of that opening in Star Wars A New Hope when the exactly. Star Destroyer is going over. Just like it just keeps going and going and going yeah. and going. One of the things I noticed on page two, I, at least in my uh, original copy, is John's belt. You know, that belt across his chest is yeah. not colored. Did you notice that? I did. I did. Uh, and it carries through on some of the reprints, not all of them, but some of the reprints as well also have that coloring mistake. So it happens. I, I'm oh, not, no. I, I, if you're trying to hold Gene D'Angelo, uh, you know, to, to hold the, hold his feet to the fire, I, I'm not going to allow that. So. No. And one of the things about John, the fight scene uh, with Lobo, the way he stretches that body, uh, it's yeah. really cool image uh, the the long arms the long that torso just bends like a like a stretch armstrong it was really cool and you don't get to see john use his powers all that you often. don't not you this don't. yeah and this issue's got a lot in it i mean it's it's mainly just a discussion between them and lobo it really is what the what the bulk of the issue is but you get action you get a battle you get a ton and, and our synopsis don't do it justice there's a ton of funny gags in this thing i mean it is chock-a-block with funny gags and not even like they're not forced they work well they're all humorous you got you know you got some uh tension built in different points and then you've got the big reveal at the end with guy gardner it, it's a really well done issue is this the start of the pledge drive that they start taking on later in uh, uh later issues because I remember the whole pledge drive of getting superheroes like Hawkman, Starman on. I don't want to say too much. You're, you're sort of mixing two different membership drives, actually. Uh, oh, am I? Or not. Okay. Um, so I'm not going to say too much because they get into it with the next issue or two. But yes, this does begin a membership, the first membership drive for JLI. And, yeah. and this isn't really any spoilers, but because issue, we're on issue 18 here, folks. Six months from now, it's going to spin off another title, which just is a year mm-hmm. which is where that membership drive is going to pay off and also the, the events of Invasion pay off. 
and where we end up with enough people laying around to make two teams, which is fantastic. Right. One last thing I want to mention was the tons of Star uh, Star Trek The Next Generation and just Star Trek references. It was like the Spock book, the sort of space, the final frontier intro. There's a lot of that sort of thing here, and it was, it was kind of nice to see. Kind of nice to see. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Not so fully nice because star- I'm a Star Wars kind of guy. That's I have respect for Star Trek. How, how do you feel? That, that, do you feel like that you felt like you were in a galaxy far, far away? With, with Star Trek? No, with this comic. Oh, yeah. It was. It wasn't a lot of space stuff. It was just. It was just. I just knew they were there. When I'm JLI, I'm JLI. Star Wars. I'm Star Wars. I know where to separate. Okay. I was. I figured you're going to come back with it. Could you use some more laser swords and space wizards? But you know, whatever. <laughs> this whole book was wizard. I tell you. <laughs> nice. Well done, sir. Thank All you, right. Sir. Well. Guys, this, this issue is completely in the wind column. It is so good. Yeah. Now, we're going to move on to a part of the show that I love because I just get to sit back and relax. It's something I like to call... Character Spotlight. This is where Rob will be asked to share some thoughts on one of the characters from the issue. It's not really supposed to be an origin recap, but you know more about where the characters were in the DC Universe before joining the JLI and what kind of impact they had on their lives and careers. And we've covered just about every major character on the JLI team. The one I want to focus on is Ice Maiden. Rob, could you tell us a little bit about Tor? Okay, so this was interesting because I did not know who Ice was until Justice League International, not knowing there was this whole history of Ice Maiden beyond Tora. She comes from a tribe of magic Norsemen. She, to me, is the Betty to Fires Veronica. Uh, she she joined she joined the Global Guardians, replacing the original Ice Maiden. I think her name is Sigrid Nansen, but uh, that that character stems back from like 1977 from the Super Friends series. So I was really cool. I had no idea there was a second one. Ice to me was always a wholesome, kind, but naive character and had this great connection between her and Guy. It allowed Guy to be grumpy, his grumpy self, but also brought out this um, sensitive side in him, kind of forced out by Ice because of her her innocence and her pureness. It's kind of like the, a female Captain Marvel f- with, with that sort of tone, innocent, mm-hmm. but made him accountable that Captain Marvel couldn't do. Eventually, from what I understand, because I had, I stopped before it happened, uh, apparently she dies. Yes. Uh, yeah, the Overmaster killed her, but uh, then again, someone told me that Blue Beetle died too, and I, I don't believe that either. And, uh, <laughs> And someone also told me that the Injustice League kind of died, too, for the Suicide Squad. But I think, you know, there's a bunch of liars out there. And uh, <laughs> eventually she dies and is replaced by the original Ice Maiden. The fighter understands a romantic connection with fire. Is that how I understand it? Uh, she, I'd have to reread the issues. This is long after Giffen DiMatteis era. She definitely yeah. makes a pass at fire. I can't remember whether they actually develop a relationship or just remain friends. But Yeah, maybe that's it. I've always loved Ice. Uh, I, I joke about the Betty and Veronica, but it was a character that had the risk of being the Lisa Simpson of the Justice League. Like, yeah, you need her, but nobody likes her. But still, it's, her character had power, uh, even before fire really had power, until fire's power originally was just blowing out fire from her mouth. But after the was it the the what series was it that really brought out her meta powers? Invasion. Invasion. That's right. So Ice now had an equal, and those two worked so well together. Her, she was really, really well done during the death of Superman, where it brought out the emotions of Guy, brought out the emotions of the Justice League, and made it serious. And I was really surprised when the Justice League were involved in the death of Superman so closely. And so Ice eventually became a real favorite of mine, which surprised me because of. First, I wasn't a 
man. But once the guy got involved with ice, it really started to build her character up really well, and I really started to enjoy her. Well, they're such an unexpected couple, you know, yes. uh, that, that really works well off of each other. And by the way, thank you so much for doing that recap. I appreciate that. Now, I'm going to touch on this. In the folks in the comments are, are going to be jumping here to correct me, I'm sure. Now, here, and me. Here, <laughs> here's how I understand that it happened from a real-world perspective. So the Ice Maiden character is created for Super Friends, right? But she's blue, okay? <laughs> and I don't think they gave her, unless I'm mistaken, I don't think they gave her the name either Tora or Sigrid. She was just Ice Maiden, I believe. Uh, and, and so she appears in Super Friends. She appears in Infinity, Inc. Then they add her to the Justice League International. And, and my belief, again, feel free to tell me I'm wrong, guys, was that Giffen and Dimatteis fully intended for her to be the exact same Ice Maiden that was in Global Guardians. I don't think they planned on making her a different one. And then later on, when the character died, some the writer at the time decided, oh, wait, here's an opportunity. The first one was blue. This one was pale, so maybe there's two Ice Maidens. So they develop, they retcon the fact that there were two different Ice Maidens on the Global Guardians. Okay. Again, I don't know if that's true, folks. Please help me out in the comments. But that was my understanding of how this goes down with Ice. And, Shay, you're never wrong, so I'm going to believe every word you say. That's true. And I can, the nice thing is when I do <laughs> listener feedback, I can always edit all their comments so that I sound <laughs> right. That's the beauty of it. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of me always being right, it is time to get to the moment everyone's waiting for, folks. It is time for... Plahaha Award. This is where we're going to nominate the funniest issue in the book. Both myself and Rob are going to pick a moment. One of those will be awarded the coveted Bwahaha Award. Rob, you're the guest. So, what is your pick? I, I couldn't choose between three. So, my, one of them was the, the intro itself, where it's basically soft, meaningful, and then even the narrator kind of takes a shot at the fact that this is not going to be quiet. And just with Nort and uh, Dimitri, just ready to upchuck. I thought that was pretty funny. Nort checking his manual was pretty funny. But in the end, I think the cover itself for me was my wahaha moment. Ooh. The fact that uh, you had this, like I said, Stan Laurel look on Guy's face. This this cover is, to me, a bit is one of the iconic covers of the Justice League run. And it's just funny to see Guy crying at the hands of Lobo. And I remember first seeing this issue and just laughing and then when you put together the second one is just it's it's classic it's so my that's my that's my offer it's the actual cover of this book wow that's a good one i hadn't even considered that i i do think you have to do as you said both covers together for it, the joke to really work yeah. hmm. and by the way i know it's, there's going to be some folks at home that are screaming no the funny part has to be the return of guy well i don't really find that part funny i find that more of a <gasps> kind of moment you know that was a fist pump moment for me right so i i don't think i don't see that one as funny you guys at home can argue my pick and, and we'll have to debate back and forth my pick is when lobo is on the ship right and he's threatening to kill everybody and he is threatening to kill specifically rocket red and let's see here i'm, I'm gonna go through this rocket red says uh i have no desire to see my wife become a widow my son an orphan <laughs> and nort chimes in like casually raises his hand to interrupt well, as long as your wife's still alive, the kid won't really be an orphan. And they just blow right past it. And they just ignore it. <laughs> they don't even say it. That cracked my junk up so hard. I found that hilarious. 
Um, I, being the Canadian and being the kind, peace-loving person, I am totally going to agree with you on that one. I, I, you know what? I kind of forgot that scene, and I remember laughing at that. So I'm totally going to say you've got this one because, oh, wow. yeah, okay. it's the the orphaned comment. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, that's it. That's totally it. Okay, I yeah. will take I will take the win because I, I was having a hard, I, as much as I think your two covers together are hilarious. I have a hard time awarding it for just this issue though. You, you, know? you have a good point on that one too. So yeah. that's a tough one. So. All right, congratulations, Nort. You have won the coveted Bwahaha Award. <laughs> it is as tangible as the laughter we give you. Wear it with pride, sir. Just don't chew it. <laughs> now, all right, Rob, we had this discussion a little earlier. Let me get this straight. You you, it, you teach middle school, which, by the way, oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, and second of all, you have painted the JLI characters on the wall of your classroom. Is that right? Uh, not painted. I, I traced it on, on paper and then oh. posted it up on paper. So it's, it's bigger than life size, some of these characters. So, so life size. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. And I, so I traced art by Art Adams and other, and other people, even from the straight covers of like Secret Oranges and stuff. So I traced it and colored it and put it up on my walls. So I got like about nine or so heroes up there. They'll put a picture up for, for everybody to see, but it's, it's flanked, it's flanked by a poster of the JLI and some, Images of, of the comic books and stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and in front of my door is Mason Man and, uh, welcoming everybody into my classroom. Aww, that's yeah. adorable. Yes. So, so what JLI characters are on the wall? Uh, I got Bard front and center. I got, I got Adam. I've got Fire and Ice. I got Miracle, obviously, and, uh, just the usual crew. So would that include Nord? Uh, actually, I don't have Nord up there. I don't know why I don't have Nord up there. That's a good point. What? <laughs> I, you have Justice League International all over your I classroom have and Nord. you don't have Nord. No, I don't well, actually. Okay. Um, I I take issue with this. You know, uh, I I have I'm a sorry to take issue with it. <laughs> uh, I think you better get on this right away. Yeah. In fact, you know what? Why don't you go take care of that right now? Because I'm pretty miffed, and uh, that's that's all there's going to be. We're not going to go forward until you get this done, sir. Okay. You know what? That's a good idea, actually. <laughs> I really should be putting them up on the wall there. Maybe put a little dish dish in the owner's manual to go with it. <laughs> That would be appropriate. I would like that. Okay. All right. I'm on my way. Well, folks, while Rob is correcting this glaring oversight, uh, I'm going to read your listener feedback in a segment called Justice Log. Just a few thoughts before we get started on your feedback. Now, last episode, I asked you guys for some help to help me make a decision on whether we should cover the Justice League International segments in the Secret Origins comic book. My question was, you know, the Secret Origins podcast had already done an excellent job covering those. Should we cover those same stories here in the JLI podcast, or should we consider them done since it was done in the Secret Origins show already? Well, I put the call out to you guys to ask for feedback, and thanks so much, I got a whopping four responses. Seriously, I have 15 pages of feedback from you guys on last episode, and only four people bothered to chime in on that question. Thank you so much, you lazy people. So I did take into account the feedback, and I thought about it. You know, the mandate of this show is really to focus in on the Giffen and Demetrius work within the JLI. And I looked at those origins, and actually, I think only two of them are even written, not the whole issue, but even just small segments where even had Giffen or Demetrius involved. So I've decided to take a pass on it. As I said, Secret Origins did an exceptional job covering those stories. And quite frankly, this podcast is already going to take like five to six years of my life. So I'm going to go ahead and move on. 
All right, as I mentioned, thanks so much for not bothering to respond to my question last time. This time, people, I do need your feedback. I have a new question. In about six months, we're going to start covering two issues per month. We're going to start covering Justice League America and a Justice League Europe issue every month. Now, in order to keep the show from being too long, I've got to make some changes. One of the changes I'm going to make is I'm going to jettison some of the segments that we do. Uh, that's actually been part of the plan since the beginning, but uh, and I've already made some decisions on some that are going to go, but I need your input on this one. So which segment would you rather we keep in the show from these two? Would you rather we keep Monitor Duty, which is where we cover comics that are on the shelves in the same month? Or would you rather we keep the character Spotlight, where the guest talks about one of the characters and how the JLI affected their lives? One of those segments has got to go when we start covering two issues a month. So in the comments, please leave your feedback and let me know which of those two segments is more meaningful to you. All right, let's get into your feedback. Just remember, folks, go out on the social medias, use our hashtag, PoundFWPodcasts, or you can tag us it's, uh, on Twitter, it's at JLI Podcast, and on Facebook, it's Justice League International, Wahaha Podcast. And as I said earlier, it is all about building a community of online JLI fans around the show, because y'all are awesome, and we're adding new people every day. And remember, if you're outside the United States, let me know. We'll assign you the appropriate embassy. And it's good to know that, too, because we have to fill our iTunes to find international reviews. Speaking of that somewhat not subtle segue, <laughs> uh, let's take a look at iTunes and see what new reviews we've got there, folks. We, uh, we do have one new review. Thank you so much from James Wynn. He's a new listener to the show. He goes by the uh, name Headcanon. He kept it short and sweet, gave us five stars, and he called it fun, fun, fun. He says, an issue-by-issue reread and review of a truly special run of the Justice Thanks, James. Really appreciate that. And thanks to everyone who has already submitted an iTunes review. We've got quite a few, but we could always use more. It really helps raise the profile of the show. And again, it helps more people find the show and this community can grow. So for those of you who have not yet left an iTunes review, well, you're off the Christmas card list. Now, see what you've done? Aren't you sad now? <sighs> All right. Now we're going to get into your feedback from the episode where we covered Justice League International number 17, where we had our guest host, Joe Casey, the awesome Joe Casey. And I'm going to be pulling your comments from our website, from email, social media, all kinds of stuff. And because there is so much, I have to sort of cherry pick your responses. So I won't be reading entire comments, just reading bits and pieces. All right. Our first comment comes from Michelle Fife, past guest of this show. He's also a writer and artist on his self-published comic, Copra, and his new Bloodstrike book is coming from Image. Yeah, he's doing Bloodstrike. So be sure to order from your local comic shop. So, uh, Michelle writes in, Wangina in the alleyway? Jack-O-Lantern's personality? Man, I haven't read this in ages because those are definitely legit highlights. Really dug the second act breakdown discussion and I could listen to Joe Casey all day. You know what, Michelle? I think a lot of us could. He was fantastic. Then we heard from Paul Hicks from the Australian Embassy. He does a number of podcasts, including Waiting for Doom and the DC OCD. Paul writes, Joe was such a great guest. It's pleasing and reassuring when you confirm that a comic creator is just another hardcore fan as the rest of us. Then he goes on to say, I actually think what happened to Beetle in Bialya, keeping it vague for those who haven't read ahead, what happened to Beetle wasn't on the cards when this issue was created. If it was there, it would have surely been a scene of blue and gold being obviously separated, or Beetle being brought back to the cell after questioning. Hmm. You're probably right, Paul. It probably was a retcon, but boy, it fits really seamlessly. Then we heard from Maz, who goes by Mazinger1978. Maz wrote, great episode, Shag. You should invite Joe back at some point. I love this podcast, and I'm counting down to the months as you inch closer to my favorite issue, number 24. Oh, that's a good one, Maz. It really is. Then we heard from my buddy Jose Rivera. He writes, love the episode. Joe Casey was an awesome guest, and you both brought up something I'd completely forgotten about. The differences in how Captain Adam is drawn here and in his solo series. Out of the two, I prefer McGuire's take. Sure, Cap is shiny, but I feel it's easier to relate to him here with McGuire's facial expressions than in his own book. 
As for the Queen Bee, this might be my favorite iteration of the character. It could have been so easy to make her this despot ruling over her country, but she found a way to manipulate the people to her side. It makes it that much more difficult. You know, Jose, I gotta agree with you. This is my favorite iteration of the, of the Queen Bee. But as we go along, we're gonna hear not everyone agrees with us because, well, because they're wrong. Anyway, um, <laughs> heard from James Wynn. I mentioned him in the iTunes review. He left us a message. Uh, he's a new listener. He says, enjoying binging the podcast. Here are some unrequested notes. <laughs> he gave us his origin story with the JLI because, you know, I love me an origin story with the JLI. So he goes, I had dropped out of comics for several years, probably shortly after Marvel's failed universe. I agree that that was too inside baseball to attract new fans. Much later, a younger friend introduced me to Justice League International number 23, the Invasion Aftermath Extra, with the initial appearance of the Injustice League. Two bwahaha moments sold me on the entire series. The first one was the Mighty Bruce, upset with the team for not doing anything, goes off to himself singing, Sitting by the dock of the bay, singing to himself about wasting time. The second moment was Major Disasters. Bwahaha! Personally, I think issue number 23 is more responsible for this period being called the Bwahaha Justice League. Then issue number eight, in Major Disaster's mouth, it changed his tone from a guffaw to an attempt at an evil laugh. It was perfect. Hmm. You know, James, I don't know that I agree with you about uh, contrary to number eight, but you know what? It, number 23 certainly reinforced it. Absolutely. All right, he goes on to write, I am so pro-Nort and pro-Guardian nepotism. I'm anti the clumsy retcon that Nort didn't have a real Green Lantern power ring given to him by the real Guardians. That didn't happen to my Nort, and neither did the collateral damage story. Um, I could, I would agree with that. He goes on to talk a lot more about Nort and the Green Lanterns. Going down a bit, he goes on to say, I see someone finally abraded you for not covering JLA 80-page giant number one on your issue number seven coverage. Uh, I mean that that was the logical place to cover the story since it takes place immediately after that issue number seven, but before the Millennium event. It's true. You're right. There's the story about the mouse hunt or whatever it's called. Uh, it's about guy bumping his head with the mouse underneath the, the, the computer bank and everything when he changes personality changes. I agree. However, JLA uh, number 80, giant uh, number one, is on my radar. And so is the DC Retroactive book. But I want to cover them in release order. So we're going to go through all the Justice League books and the release order, and then I will cover those towards the end, along with the Super Buddy stories. Then James goes on to say, I think more could be elucidated regarding the fact that Guy Gardner's repeated personality changes via a Gilligan's Island coconut to the head process <laughs> uh, is itself a joke referencing his stark personality change when he came out of his years-long coma from his original character. So every time he gets bonked on the head, he reverts back and forth between personalities. I think people who didn't like his personality change at the time didn't get the joke because Guy's character history was longer than the memory of an average Justice League reader. You know, that's a good point. I don't know that I ever really thought about that, how he had had one personality and it changed with a coma and all that. Um, that's, you know, I don't know if Giffen and Dimitase were thinking about that when they did it or not. A lot of times they don't know a lot about a character when they first take it on, so I don't know if they were thinking about that or not. But either way, it's, it fits very seamlessly. Good call, James. You guys keep asking why the JLI doesn't react with more concern at Guy potentially having brain damage for a year. But in the JLA Legends crossover, the team does suspect that Guy's hostile personality change could be due to brain damage. So from everyone's perspective at the time, this is either Guy getting better, or at least if he's going to be brain damaged, he might as well be annoying but tolerable. <laughs> 
Uh, and the last thing I'm going to read from James, he posted on Twitter, because I did not imagine I would enjoy a podcast that was essentially two people rereading a 30-year-old comic book. But here I am binging JLI podcast. Aw, James, thanks so much. Welcome to the embassy, buddy. Then we heard from David Ace Gutierrez, executive producer of Pod Dylan, and David's from our Los Angeles embassy, because it's practically a foreign country anyway. David writes, this might be the best episode you've done of the Blah Ha Ha podcast yet. It was great to hear how this series influenced someone's professional work, and it was a nice glimpse into Joe Casey's view on the series. Absolutely agree, David. Then I heard from my buddy Chris Franklin from the Firewater Podcast Network, who does a number of shows, including JLU Cast and Supermates. Chris says, as for this issue, I don't recall it as well as the previous one. For some reason, I do remember the bit with fire. Gee, I wonder why. But I'm going to have to dig my copy out when I get home. I do remember really liking McGuire's take on Captain Adam once he got it, as he did here. The Captain Adam card from the JLI postcard set was particularly awesome. I think this is the first time I really understood how high-gloss and chromey the Captain was supposed to be. No shade on Pat Broderick, but I prefer Maguire's take. Me too, Chris. Me too. Then I heard from my buddy Martin Gray from our Scottish Embassy, who does the Too Dangerous for a Girl blog. Martin says, This was a good issue, though I've never been a fan of the Champions of Angor, though Steve Orlando did good work with that planet in the recent JLA series, and he brought back the Adjudicator. Isn't one Jenna one of Paul Hicks's pals? <laughs> That's good. I like that. Then Martin goes on to say, By the way, the only thing Joe got wrong was is asserting that the JLI Queen Bee was better than Zazala, uh, which I guess is the pre-crisis version, or maybe the post-crisis version. Either way, he says, get a grip. Well, see, there you go. Martin has a different opinion on which is the best Queen Bee. Personally, I like the JLI version. Martin prefers another version. What do you think, folks? Let us know in your comments. You know, Do you like the pre-crisis version? Do you like this version? Do you like the post-crisis Grant Morrison version? What do you like? Then heard from our buddy Ward Hill Terry, I agree with the other comments that it was very cool to hear the perspective of a comics pro as a comics fan. Or is it the other way around? I can't remember what compelled me to buy this issue, as I hadn't bought Justice League for about a half a year. But I bought this one in the next three or four. And that was it for my regular buying days. And I'm very intrigued about all these hints about Blue Beetle. <sighs> Sorry, Ward Hill Terry, I'm not going to spill the beans. You're going to have to pick up those issues or the omnibus and read ahead, buddy. Then we heard from my buddy Jimmy McGlinchey from the Irish Embassy, and he was recently a guest here on the Firewater Podcast Network on our Midnight the Podcasting Hour show, and he did an awesome job. Way to go, Jimmy. So Jimmy writes in to say, Greetings from the Irish Embassy on the back of St. Patrick's Day weekend, which was interesting for me. First off, I had to take a detour to a different podcast in Midnight the Podcasting Hour. Being in a damp, deserted, haunted recording studio with PJ Freifel was, frankly, a step up from the JLI embassies. Except for the Russian Embassy, the plumbing there is to die for. Then I had to deal with a lot of calls from Bialya while I was there. My Bialyan is not the best, and it seemed to be all about them looking for a good time from a canary. Very weird indeed. <laughs> Thank you, Jimmy. I love your sense of humor, buddy. Jimmy goes on to say, I managed to look up Joe Casey's Bialya work, and the leader in charge for that story was the Colonel Ahad Rakak. And Joe had Luther comment that Radak is, quote, a smart man, certainly not a buffoon like that Harjavati was. Ooh. Uh, what else? Uh, Jimmy says, it was a relatively quick wrap-up for the Bialyan adventure, as discussed by Shag and Joe. It's likely that Keith and J.M. DiMatteis wanted to play the long game with Bialya and leave them for their eventual final act, which they eventually got to in breakdowns. And uh, at the end, he since he's with the Irish Embassy, he apologizes once again for Jack-O-Lantern. Apology accepted. All right, then we hear from my buddy Tim Price, who writes these dissertations, which actually have been clinically proven to help people with insomnia. So congratulations, Tim. That's fantastic. Uh, probably on his LinkedIn page. So Tim goes to say, uh, this episode was worth the wait. Joe Casey was a great, insightful guest and obviously a big fan of the JLI. I remember reading his short run on Incredible Hulk, which followed Peter David. That was a nigh-impossible act to follow, and Joe put out some really good stories. Uh, let's see. Then he goes on to say, it's good to be reminded that these stories were plotted on the fly because having read the whole series, 
series, I typically think of it as a long arc. The fact that Giffen and Dimitans could turn this into a cohesive story is pretty amazing. Then Tim says, yes, Fire was sexy in her underwear, but the explanation in that story was so flimsy. She's undercover in a hostile country, Bat Max is heading out on a dangerous mission, and Bo thinks, fine, Bat Jerk, I'm going to wash my hair in my skivvies while you're out. Really? No concern about being ready for action in this situation? <sighs> to be fair, Beetle and Booster were shirtless this entire issue, but Fire wasn't ogling them. Guess Blue and Gold are both friend-zoned. Uh, he says, did anyone else notice the lack of Bat branding? Simple black clothes, no bat on his pen-sized telescope or his backpack? I guess Batman can do covert. <laughs> That's great. I love that. Because, you know, every if, if you read any Batman comic, everything Batman does, it's all about the branding. Bruce Wayne totally gets marketing. So the fact that, yeah, there was nothing Bat-branded here, that says a lot. Now, for the big question. When Jenna's first attacks the League, he reaches for Beetle, and Fire says, B-B-Batman, get up! And Beetle says, I can't. See, they got it mixed up. She said Batman when she was talking to Beetle. Uh, really? Fire says Batman? Was this an editorial goof? Uh, but it always bothered me. My no-prizing would say that Fire was hit hard on the head, face down, and didn't really know who was next to her. Also, she's with three guys whose names all start with B. That's an easy goof-up even in the real world. So maybe I'm overthinking it. <laughs> uh, such great McGuire art in this issue. Yes, not many issues to go with him. Thanks for reminding me, Shag. Yes, I'm sorry to say, Tim. Next issue, number 19, is going to be the last Kevin McGuire issue on this first run of the series. Now, he comes back from time to time. He does some covers, things like that. But that next issue will really be the end of Kevin McGuire's, you know, sort of regular run on Justice League. Oh, so sad. Then we heard from our buddy Siskoid from our Canadian embassy. He's also part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. He does several shows, uh, a couple including First Strike Invasion and an FW Team Up. Siskoid just said, I love this episode. Joe's trademark humor made for a fun listen. Then heard from Rob Kelly, also with the Fire and Water Podcast Network. He does a million shows, including the Film and Water Podcast and the Superman Movie Minute Podcast. Rob says, regarding the cover, I'm not sure McGuire's style works well with pure horror like the image we see. But hey, points for trying something different. Justice League International was so light and silly sometimes, it's nice to remember that this is the Justice League, folks. And occasionally, life and death enters into it. Now, on a separate note, those fire panels were pretty eye-opening to this teenage me when I first read the comic. I had seen sexy stuff in indie comics, but in the squeaky clean DC, that was something new. Then we got some comments from our buddy Adam Ackerman, who goes by Centaurin from our Denmark embassy. Adam was feeling a bit creative and wrote us some haikus. So here we go. He wrote haiku recaps of uh, issues 17 and 18. He considered it a challenge to see if he could do it. Uh, issue 17. Who is controlling nuclear-powered fighting? What changed Bialya? In number 18, he writes, The main man is here. They cost only dolphin mix. Why is the house gone? <laughs> Thank you, Adam. Love it. Then heard from Billy Lacasse, and he says, I'll be listening to this at work today. Uh, Ryan Blake wrote, I love this podcast. It actually made me cry once, though this is not admissible evidence. Really, Ryan? We made you cry? I am dying to know what made you cry. Is this like one of those ads from the old comic books where a guy comes up and kicks sand in the other guy's face and he tears up? Because, you know, if that is, that makes you the hero of the beach. So, <laughs> uh, then we heard from my buddy Mark Baker Wright from Black Rock's Toy Box. He was commenting on uh, issue 18, actually, and he says, I guess I'll read this issue in advance like I've been trying to do ever since getting the omnibus, but I really, really can't stand Lobo. Well, Mark, I hope you enjoyed this issue because uh, this is a very different Lobo than, than the version we saw throughout the 90s. 
Uh, Lucien Dessar also commenting on issue 18. He says, can't wait to sink my ears into this episode. I have to read JLI number 17 today, and I'm reading the series for the first time, waiting for Guy to snap out of it. Well, I think you'll be pleased by the end of this one, Lucien. Then the website DC in the 80s, which is an awesome site. You guys should check it out. Uh, they wrote and said, for a good time, check out the JLA Classified Tumblr account, which is jlaclassified.tumblr.com. Their, their tagline is there, I'm rereading Justice League International and telling you about it. So yeah, they're going through the series and posting uh, recaps of it. So yeah, check it out. All right, folks, this is the part where I want to thank everyone who shared our show on their social media timeline on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, it's a long list of names. I say this every month, but seriously, folks, these folks help support the show, help promote it. They help get the word out. Again, they shared these things on their timeline. Uh, so it's important to me that we recognize each one of these individuals. They're part of our family. They're part of our community that is growing and getting bigger every single month. And this time, we're looking at over 75 names of people that helped promote last episode. Episode. So, wow. If you want to be on this list, make sure you hit share on Facebook or retweet on Twitter and we'll get you on the list. All right. Here we go, folks. Strap in. My thanks to Professor Alan Middleton, Andy Capellish, Between the Pages, Bill Beer, Calum Nauer, Cash Flag, Chris Franklin, Chris Lewis, Christopher J. Warden, Chuck Rodriguez, Coffee and Comics, Comic Reflections, Curtis Fortier, David Ace Gutierrez, David Byer Jr., DC Comics Vault, Debbie Rangel, Del Trabal, Diablo Frank and the Rolled Spine Podcast Network, Dr. Ange, Frederica Hernandez, Geek Brain Popcast, Grant Richter, the Headcast Network, Jake and Tom Conker at the Drunken Dork, <laughs> Jake Perry, James Wynn, Jared West, Jared Albrecht, the Yard Sale Artist, Jay Jones, Jeff Doug Lassmesser, Jeffrey Brown, Jennifer Schwartz, Jeremiah Parker, Justice's First Dawn, Justin Steiner, Keith G. Baker, Connell, Christados, Linda Vickers, Longbox Crusade, Longbox of Darkness, Luke Dobb, Mark Baker Wright, Mark Danvers, Mark Holmes, Martin Gray, Matt the Chat, Max Romero, and his It's Plastic Man account, Michelle Fifay, Mikey Flash, Paul Hicks, Rob Kelly, and his accounts Superman Movie Minute, Pod Dylan, Mashcast, Treasury Comics, and Film and Water Podcast. Rob Williams, oh wait, I've heard of that guy, and uh, his accounts Outer Rim Rookie and Generation X-Wing Podcast. Ryan Blake, Scott X, Sean at Secret Wars and Beyond Podcast, Sergey Bomba, Siskoid, The 108th Sage, Thomas Geek, Tim Price, Tim Rooney, Warlock Thanos Podcast, Willie Yarbrough, and Zoom Yukonori. My thanks to all y'all for your support of the JLI podcast. Y'all are the absolute best, folks. Your feedback is such a critical part of the show, and this community of JLI fans we're building together is absolutely awesome. Now, if I've forgotten or missed anybody, I am terribly sorry. It's probably Joe Casey's fault, but just drop me a note and let me know, and I'll be sure to include you in the next episode. Please keep those cards and letters coming. You can go to our website, which is firewaterpodcast.com slash JLI. Leave your comments on the show post there. Again, on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash JLI podcast or Justice League International, blah, ha, ha, podcast. On Twitter, it's JLI podcast. And our email is jlipodcast at gmail.com. Please be part of the conversation. We want to hear from you. My thanks again to Joe Casey for helping me cover JLI number 17. And thanks to you listeners for such a great collection of feedback from that episode. Now, we're going to take a quick podcast promo break. And when we come back, we'll see if Rob has finished his painting of Nort. In late 1984, Marvel's direct sales manager sat in a crowded meeting of comic retailers. Let's be honest, Secret Wars was crap, right? But did it sell? 
the room exploded with applause. Well, get ready for Secret Wars Series 2! Beginning in 2018, Pulp to Pixel's Marvel's superhero Secret Wars and Beyond will do the unthinkable Secret Wars 2. We'll take a detailed look at the event, the tie-ins, the new characters, and we will attempt to answer one of the largest questions in the history of the Marvel Universe. What the heck was Jim Shooter thinking? No, no, seriously, what was Jim Shooter thinking? Well, you can find out at the Pulp to Pixel Podcast Network, where you can subscribe to all of our amazing shows, or just to Secret Wars and Beyond itself, as it is now in its own omnipotent feed. Secret Wars 2 and Beyond, a Pulp to Pixel Podcast production. You'll believe an omnipotent being can use the restroom. It's JL May. We're covering the Silver Age. This JL May. A comic event from Mark Wade. We're crossovering a podcast. There's 12 of us involved. Get it in your ear holes, this JL May. We'll tell you all, all about the Silver Age. It's not great, but it's okay. We really have to warn you, it has a controversial one. Where Mark Miller wrote the lead. But it also has some good stuff. Teen Titans style page metal man. Challenges of the unknown. Green Lantern Flash Patrol of Doom. The Seven Soldiers of Victory. I'll in that too. Annual JLMA event is upon us once more. 2018, we're reading The Silver Age from 2001. The journey begins in the podcast Justice's First Dawn and continues in the shows Relatively Geeky, Copy and Comics, Supermates, Waiting for Doom, Idlehead of Diablo, The Longbox Crusade, The Lantern Cast, Batgirl to Oracle, Comic Reflections, Cosmic Treadmill, The Fire and Water Podcast. Do It came out in 2000 We got it right And we're ready for some fun Do you know it's JML? It all begins this way Folks, we're back from break, and let's see. Uh, okay, it does appear that Rob is back from his court-appointed painting duties. Yeah. Uh, how did it go, sir? How'd the artwork come out? I got a nice little bowl of uh, Nort Chow. 
in the corner there, and he does have his owner's manual with his ringy dingy, so it's all good. All right. I I will uh, accept your apology in artwork form. Fine. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rob, I do want to say thank you so much for appearing on this episode of the show. Oh, no, seriously, thank you. This is a lot of fun. This has been an absolute blast. Always fun to hang out with another Star Wars fan, and especially <laughs> one that loves JLI as well. Oh, my gosh. So good. Now, why don't you tell the folks at home where they can find you on the interwebs? Well, the Generation X-Wing podcast, it's not just a Star Wars podcast. It's a podcast about the 80s and 90s. So if you're like, like me and Shag, old and decrepit <laughs> and uh, reminiscing about things like uh, Muppet Show and stuff like that, Rocketeer, this is the show you want to check out. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter, uh, Gen X-Wing. You can find us on Facebook. You have our website at generationxwing.com. And it's myself and my co-host, pale writer Jamie Millman, Anil, the Space Hindu Sharma, as well as Steve Three. And uh, Jamie and Steve are members of the 501st. And speaking of which, I have a second podcast as well as a YouTube video, which is uh, called The Outer Rim Rookie. It's my quest to join the Outer Rim Garrison of BC, 501st. And uh, it's just a how to build your armor, how to join, because seriously, I am so inept on building things. So I have a friend of mine called Terry Chu, who is a prop master and designer in movies and television, like the recent DC Legends uh, TV show which are filmed up here in Vancouver. So he designed a lot of those props that you see even Terry Hatcher wearing, for example. And so he's helping me build my armor and showing me how to do these things because I am so incapable of doing this. So it is a great little lesson and a great little how-to, and it's lots of fun. And we do a podcast as well, the video on YouTube, so just look for Generation X Wing Podcast. And as well, I also have the Star Wars Commonwealth Network. It is a network of about nine shows so far where it's all Star Wars-themed and is a network that myself, Tumbling Saber, and the Talk Star Wars crew put together. We've got so many different takes on Star Wars and comic books and movies. So if you really want to check out one of those shows, check out StarWarsCommonwealth.com. Or again, just go to our webpage and we have all the links for you. So there you go. Awesome. So now let me ask, you joining the 501st, what are you building armor for? Are you building a Stormtrooper? Are you building something else? I am building a Scout Trooper uh, costume because, A, I'm not husky, but I I am big, and so I, it just fits better. And besides, I can go pee whenever I want. And stormtroopers can't do that. So, <laughs> see, I figured you were going to tell me you were building some elaborate reeds. Oh God, dude! I'm okay. I'm gonna. I, I told you this off air, but I'm telling everybody out there. I'm the self-proclaimed first reeds cosplayer. I did it in 1985, and Jeez. I have photographs on our on our Facebook site of me dressed up as this weird-looking three-eyed grand. And it's actually pretty, pretty epic for a, for a grade six student. So. <laughs> That's fantastic. One thing I also wanted to add, we actually, way back in our podcast in episode 55, we actually take a look back at the Justice League pilot that was on TV for a while, which is tragic in its own right. And uh, we then we... You mean tragically glorious? Sure. Glorious Godfrey (laughs) has gotten to you, I think. But uh, we also talk about uh, your show on our GXW number 58. So this is over a year ago, but uh, just when you guys were starting up, we actually push a little love towards you because I was so excited about this podcast that um, I wanted to talk about on our podcast on what excites you. So episodes 55 and 58, if you're wanting to a little bit of, of uh, Justice League or Shag Love. Wow. Well, thanks for that. I'm, I'm always up for hearing people talk about me. So sure, <laughs> I'll definitely check that out. <laughs> Well, we talk more and about yeah, Rob ch- than you, but that's okay. Uh, I assume so. That would make the most sense. <laughs> um, 
you're the Justice League pilot. I've been promising people since we started the show that we would talk about that. So I've, I've got plans in the back of my head about how we could cover it, but uh, it's just a matter of finding the time. I, you know, I, I need to do it. It's yeah. whew, that thing is uh, it's a hot mess. Hot, it is a hot mess. You know, like, it is really rough to watch, but it's so much fun. So it's 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 the Justice League version of this Star Wars holiday special. Yeah, you know, that's that's probably the best way to describe it. Well done. I like that. I may steal that and not give you credit for it. So you know, that's okay. And you're Canadian, so you'll apologize for it. I just assumed that was what was going to happen when I stepped onto the show. <laughs> You're just here to make me look good. Thanks, Rob. Thank you. <laughs> well, folks, I think that is going to do it. So you need to come back next month to find out what happens with Guy Gardner when we cover Justice League International number 19. And I'll have another guest host to cover the issue with me. Who will it be? Sorry. Folks, you know how this works. You're not going to find out until next month, so knock it off. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Shag. And I'm Rob. You've been listening to the JLI Podcast. Want to make something of it? <laughs>